I I would add, um, and you may edit this out of <laughs> out of a uh, recording here, but um, I don't want to be too harsh. But do more than complain. Welcome to the UOUC Talk Show. Our goal with this show is to introduce you to the most interesting people with the most interesting ideas. Welcome, Dr. Haran. Good to be here. Thank you. How are you doing today? I'm doing good here in this uh, beautiful new building with up-and-coming YouTube stars. <laughs> That's <laughs> not the goal, but... Engineers. Okay. Engineers, <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah. Um, I want to start off with a really straightforward question. When do you think electric propulsion systems would be a reality? Wow. Okay. Um, it depends on what you mean. Okay. Electric propulsion means could mean a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. uh, since you are asking me that question, I assume you're talking about aircraft. Yeah. Right. I mean, certainly electric vehicles that are that are moving. Um, there's also the I'll give you the story. So when I got in the field of total digression and tangent here, got in the field of electric propulsion, I would attend these conferences uh, by AIAA, and there'll be sessions on electric propulsion, well attended. But after I sat in for a few minutes, I realized it's not the electric propulsion I was thinking of. Mm. Electric propulsion for space, right? Um, <laughs> not the ones that are air breathing or, you know, not the... Um, aircraft that are flying in the atmospheric right. air, right? So I'm going through all this elaborate <laughs> discussion to narrow down your question to, I assume you mean aircraft that are flying in the atmosphere, uh, going from jet engines or turboprops to electric. Uh, those already exist, right? So there are two-seater, four-seater type um, small aircraft that you can buy today. There's a Pipistrel aircraft that's certified in the in Europe. I think they're coming to the US as well. Um, but the area that we work on, it's to electrify the the larger aircraft, if you say the, the commercial transport aircraft, like the the regional jets, the ones that fly from Chicago to here, the Embraer type, or even larger, like the Boeing 737 type aircraft, right? So those are not electric. And I will answer that question. When will those become electric? I think we're talking about um, maybe a, a decade, um, right? You would so there's a long process, as you can imagine. You had to make the technology work. Then you had to get the certified, go through regulatory approvals. Then you have to make them commercially viable, you know, introduce it as a product, and it had to penetrate the, the market. I'm talking about the early adopters maybe maybe 10 years 10 years yeah what's what's stopping them from like what what are the hurdles which we still need to overcome okay all of those i just mentioned right so the first is obviously technology yeah. right and as i said the small electric aircraft already exist so why not larger ones yeah. it's um, just size weight efficiency right um and when people talk about electric propulsion, 
um, I think depending on who your audience is, most people jump to like the Tesla, right? Battery electric. So the power energy comes from batteries. That is very hard to do with the large aircraft, right? That fly long ranges because the batteries are not nearly the energy density we need right. to replace jet fuel, right? I mean, they're orders of magnitude worse, or orders of magnitude heavier, right? Um, so what we, people are looking at as a interim solution would be, you know, hybrids. You can have a little bit of batteries, um, some jet fuel, so you can have series hybrid, parallel hybrid. There are also concepts they call turboelectric, where you generate the electric power on board, so very little or no uh, batteries. So you, that way you solve the energy storage problem. Then the other hurdle would be everything else that's downstream of that. How do you take the electrical energy, convert it to you know, shaft power on a uh, propeller, if you will? What's the size, weight, efficiency, fault tolerance? thermal management, a lot of system integration type questions. So technology is the one of the biggest hurdles. Um, but the other two I mentioned were, you know, you can't lose sight of the fact that this needs to be safe enough and you can prove that to the regulatory body, right? The FAA needs to certify your product. That will take time. Uh, not only time, it needs people to build and test this, you know, take it through some kind of a life testing on the ground first, you know, shake it out, uh, build multiple units, get some statistics around it. So all that is, again, additional effort. And then at the end, it's about, um, you know, commercial viability, mm. right, getting the, the cost down to something the market will accept. So what has your research been primarily in terms of electric propulsion? Yeah, so it's on the first part, obviously, right? Yeah. Technology. Yeah. And so my background is in electrical machines. So that's what I've done in the last 20, 30, 20 years. Um, so I come into this field uh, focused on the energy conversion. So going from electrical to mechanical. Sure. Right, so if you bring in a a cable with... You know, here is uh, electric power, but I want to create thrust. And, you know, if you go to physics, there are many different ways you can go from electrons to thrust. Like I said, space electric propulsion are different, different ways of doing propulsion. But the most effective way to do that um, in, in air is to use the same techniques, you know, get a, a propeller a fan, push air backwards and get thrust, right? So the electric machine is the, that does the magic, take the electrical energy, convert to mechanical power, and then provides to the shaft. So that's what my focus has been. And to address all those, all those goals, right? Make them uh, power dense, right? Um, kilowatt per kilogram get to the levels that um, those large electric air, large aircraft can be electrified. Are you looking into like different battery compositions or which battery composition is, are you finding to be more feasible for this kind of use? Okay, so that goes back to that earlier discussion about, so 
the, the, I think of it as two big pieces. Where is the energy coming from? That's the battery. Right. I don't do much in that. I don't do anything in that, right? So we get to work with colleagues that focus on the energy storage, right? You store the energy in a battery. Uh, by the way, I, I would expand that to say not just batteries, right? It could be fuel cells, mm. right? And in fact, many people think at least as you scale up in, in vehicle size, the fuel cells are, you know, say hydrogen fuel cell, maybe more a better solution than just pure batteries, right? or, or a combination of those two, right? Um, so the other people are working on that. And the other, the second piece is taking that energy and converting it and sending it to the fan. Mm -hmm. So that's where I come in. And we are looking at many different approaches. Um, near term is, you know, permanent magnet machines. Um, we use the term conventional because the other type of machine we are looking at is superconducting, which we can get to later. But the Conventional machines are not unlike what you have in uh, EVs, right? Um, electric cars, but a very different load profile, uh, very different requirement in terms of, again, weight and uh, fault handling capability. Right? So those are the different approaches. We, once you go back to a lot of the research you've done with like the superconductors and everything else, yeah. but I do want to ask, more, I do want to, I'm curious and in, in more, in a, I'm really interested in knowing a little bit more of your background. So, you were born, now you're here. What happened in between? <laughs> I was born in, uh, very far away from here, right, in an island off the coast of India called Sri Lanka, which by the way is in the news these days for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> the economy is going through some tough times and Anyway, that's a topic for a different show, right? <laughs> so I was born in Sri Lanka, but when I was young, the family moved to um, to Nigeria, West Africa. So that's where I grew up, when did my schooling there. I uh, went to college in a place called the University of Ife, in a city called Ife, Ile Ife. Um, finished up, that was in electronics and electrical engineering, like ECE here, double E. Um, spent a year working road construction. So it's an unusual job for an electrical engineer, mm. right? It's, um, I was what they call a site engineer, the engineer that kind of looked after a site for a stretch of a highway we were working on. Um, they were basically looking for someone, you know, we're not doing Maxwell's equations in that. It's basically logic and common sense type things. There's a large team of people that are executing on, on a plan, right? The road was designed. Now you lead this group of about 300 workers, you know, foremen, technicians, um, labor, machine operators, in uh, getting the road built. Anyway, I did that for a year, um, and then uh, got the itch to get back to what I s studied, electrical engineering. 
so came to the U.S. for graduate work, which I did at uh, Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, which you may have heard about. New York. Yeah. New York. Okay, there you go. Uh, upstate New York in Troy, New York. Um, so that was what, 1995. Finished up my PhD. So that's kind of when I got into this uh, area that I work on now, electrical machines. Right. So my advisor, Professor Shep Salon, um, specialized in elect electric machines. Then I got a job at uh, GE Research, about 15 minutes west of uh, RPI um, in a place called Schenectady. Right. This was the corporate um, R&D center for GE. GE, by the way, you know, it's um, back then was the go-to place for people like us, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it was the, I don't know, the Google, Google or Tesla of the, of the day, right? I mean, you go there, you get to work on exciting problems, electric power, renewables, right, um, transportation, aviation, you know, GE did all of those, right, all the different divisions of those, of the company. Spent uh, 13 years there. And the nice thing about GE Research is that um, you're in the same place, but you get to work on all these topics I talked about. One day you're building a machine for a, um, a CT scanner. Right, so GE's um, medical systems business. Another day, it's the starter generator for a uh, Boeing aircraft, right? And uh, wind turbines. So oh, another day, you could be looking at the power generator for a nuclear power um, power turbine, right? So like, you know, hundreds of megawatts or gigawatt of power. Right? So that was incredible experience for me you know there's there were so many experts out there so I would say so you learn at school and then you go to really learn right <laughs> at work you know people with decades of experience have done all kinds of things in their careers right so um, I really got to learn from some of the giants of the field right? uh, then decided I would try out academia. Um, so 2014 is when I moved here. There's a center here called the Granger Center for Electric Machines, Machinery and Electromechanics. Have either of you run into this, come across this at all? No, we no? Okay. I've seen the, uh, the name. Yeah. yeah, Granger CME is one of the largest endowed centers in electrical engineering, right? So the Grangers, who now, our college is now named after, um, set up the center to do research on electric machinery. And since it's an endowed center, you are not at the mercy of um, some funding agency, or you know, what's, what's the topic that's popular Today, you, you get to really sit down and dream up ideas and 
take on big challenges and you can work on all those long-term projects under the center, right? So that was the big draw for me over here. Um, you know, a couple of professors here, um, Pete Sauer, Phil Krein had worked with the Grangers to set this up going back 20 years ago. So I, I knew about the center even when, when I was at GE. So if there's a place I would move to, it would be Illinois, right, just because of that. So I came here, worked on, um, so again, because we could take on those long-term problems, you know, looked around and electric aircraft seemed like one of those topics that, you know, it may take 10, 20 years to, to figure out and mature. Uh, so got started on that. And here I am, eight years later. Almost a decade. <laughs> Almost a decade, that's right. So when I say, you know, I should probably go back and qualify what I said about, you know, it's, you asked how long before we see electric propulsion. So, you know, the question sounds simple, but right. it's very nuanced, right? Yeah. You can get one of these flying much sooner um, just to learn from that. Is that the final product? Uh, is that the... Um, TRL-9, if you're familiar with t technology readiness levels, you know, you, you go up, you, you have an idea, then you prove it out in the lab, then you prove it in the relevant environment, and then you keep building it and testing it and before it becomes truly mature, right? You can fly an electric airplane anywhere along that path, not anywhere, I mean, towards the higher end of the TRL um, ladder, um, but you want to be mature before it's a commercial product, right? So I would I would say now it's not just engineering; it's funding. Is there money and are the right people interested in getting out this out? But the technology could be ready a lot sooner. That's what I would say. And that's the, uh, the exciting part because sometimes it's the engineering that is preventing us from making progress. Yeah. And I would say perhaps the funding one issue still pretty hard but perhaps a little easier yeah um i don't know if it's easier or harder but it's, it's a different <laughs> problem right yeah, yeah. <laughs> um luckily for us i think so this wasn't true 10 years ago right when you know we were starting work on this it was a is it feasible you know let the techies work on it type thing but just in the last i want to say three four years um as people are demonstrating the technologies, I think there's enough excitement that's built up. So beyond the government funding, which was our traditional source of funds for this kind of work, there's a lot of uh, VC, venture capital funding. There are a number of companies that have gone um, public, right? So they've got, you know, IPOs in the, just the last, I want to say, year or two even, right? Um, so maybe to your point, in this climate, in this time, um, funding does look like it's there. Right. Um, but then, what problem do we solve, right? So, you go from a government agency deciding, okay, what are the big challenges and working on it, to a world where the funding is mostly uh, venture capitalist driven, the considerations may be different. Right. 
one committee may want to have nearer term results. The, the appetite for, you know, if you say 10 years, you know, they may or may not have the appetite for, to wait that long, that long, right? So, I will mention one more thing. So, why is our group working on the large airplanes, right? So, the little ones are obviously easier and we do need to get those flying and learn from those. But what's the motivation? We want to do electric airplanes not because we can, because it solves some problem, right? And what's the big challenge in the aviation industry today? It's the, the grand challenge, if you will, is to make them emission-free, right. right? Decarbonize aviation. Mm -hmm. So if, if that's the goal, then you look at where the carbon impact is. Turns out about 90% of the emissions are from aircraft like the single aisle and up. The Boeing 737 class and up is where 90% of the carbon impact is. So if you took all the general aviation, GA type aircraft, four seaters or eight seaters, or if you electrified all of them, you would have a less than 10% impact, which we should do and we should get started there. But until you're electrifying the large aircraft, you're not making enough of a dent. Um, so that's why we're working on that, on the problem. And um, where's the funding? That's again a topic for a, d a different show, but you know, I'm, I'm hoping that we get to work on all of the classes of aircraft. Right? And you're working on one that you could describe as all electric, all electric uh, cryogenic, okay. uh, liquid hydrogen. Yes. Um, it's a long word, so I'm <laughs> probably going to get it wrong, but you've been funded by a lot of organizations, NASA included. Yes. I think, um, not DARPA, but uh, someone similar. Someone yeah, similar. we, well, uh, so, you know, we get support from many different agencies, so I, um, I think we are lucky, right? This is the right time to work on this problem. Um, so one thing we get to do is uh, we get to work on nearer-term technologies as well as longer-term technologies. So the program you are referring to is what I would put in the longer-term category. It's um, for large aircraft, and if you want to make them, so go back to the discussion about um, batteries are going to be hard to replace all the energy in those large aircraft, right? So you could do hybrid, but then they're not going to be zero emission because you still have a lot of um, carbon-based fuel. If you truly want zero emission, then you can wait for batteries to advance enough to get energy dense, but you know, the, the trajectory is, doesn't look promising. Um, but if you could carry the fuel as hydrogen and using a fuel cell mm. and what you get is you know n not much more than water vapor at, at the at the tail um, which itself has questions about contrails and so on but let's ignore that for now um, if you if you could use the hydrogen to power the aircraft and you know you could burn the hydrogen in a turbine and get power that way or you could go electric and we are following the latter approach, right? Hydrogen electric aircraft. And uh, 
hydrogen is light but is very low density. Uh, let me rephrase that. <laughs> they probably say the same thing, low density. What I meant to say is it's um, volumetric. It, uh, the energy density, volumetric energy density is poor. Right. The gravimetric density, uh, energy per kilogram is very high, right? So the, um, so the challenge is how do you get the volume? So people are looking at compressing it and you know storing in very high pressure is one way to do that. The other is to liquefy it. So you go liquid hydrogen. Liquid hydrogen. Um, so then you ask the question, all right, liquid hydrogen, you're storing it at, the hydrogen boils off at ambient pressure at 20 Kelvin, right? right? So really low temperatures. And then you ask the question, okay, is there some way, is there some synergy between storing that at liquid hydrogen temperatures and the powertrain? And you say, okay, if that kind of temperature is available in the aircraft, if you can use the liquid hydrogen as the heat sink, maybe you can cool the powertrain down to those temperatures or approaching 20 Kelvin. And now you can consider superconducting right. technologies, right? So that's very exciting. Mm. Um, and that's the approach we're taking. Can we make a practical superconducting drivetrain? That's, you know, everything from the output of the fuel cell, the power distribution cables, the electric motor, and if there's power electronics, you know, they are not superconducting, they're semiconducting, but they could still be cryogenically cooled power electronics. And that's the research question. Is there a practical solution out there? Can the design close? Meaning, um, you have the system that has some losses, there's heat soaking in, you're cooling with the fuel, but you only have a limited amount of hydrogen that you're taking as fuel, right? You don't want to take extra hydrogen just to be able to cool your drivetrain. So that's the balance we are seeking. But like it will be tricky to like get the hydrogen stay at that temperature, right? Because you're, if you're working with liquid hydrogen and as you mentioned, the, bo the boiling point is like pretty low. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure it's like very expensive first to get <laughs> hydrogen, at, uh, liquid hydrogen first of all, sourcing it. So. How would that factor in with what you're working with or how, yeah. how, how would you overcome that challenge? Right. So there's a whole um, trend, um, there's a whole industry around hydrogen, right. right? You may have heard the term hydrogen economy, mm -hmm. right? So there's people that believe that, um, you know, if, if you can generate energy through renewables um, and if you get to use it right away in the power grid, that's good. But if there are periods where you're producing extra and there are periods where you need energy, then you need to store that somehow. Battery electric, uh, batteries are one. The other is with hydrogen. So regardless of what happens in aviation, there are people working on storing hydrogen. First of all, generating hydrogen, right? It could be by, you know, and um, what's the term? You break water into hydrogen and oxygen using the energy from renewables. And the best way to store, not the, the best way, one way to store would be as liquid hydrogen and you can transport it 
um, quite easily. You asked a question about the, the cost. Yes, costs need to come down, but they are on a good trajectory. It's not unlike where, say, uh, solar panels were 10, 20 years ago. They were expensive, but you know they were coming down. And I think if you project forward, um, they could be at levels that are reasonable for an application like aviation. The second piece of that is how do you store it and keep it at, at that temperature, right? Yeah, and that's you know part of the engineering. You have to store them in in vessels that are insulated, mm. right? You know, basically like a cryostat. It's you know, there's um, inside is 20 Kelvin, outside is ambient, and the delta T is in the you know in the in the vessel, the walls of the vessel, and getting them. The, the traditional way we've done it is, is fairly heavy um, liquid hydrogen tanks. So if you take what people use today and put an airplane, that's not going to work. So one of the research areas is lightweight liquid hydrogen tanks, you know, composites and special liners. and um, So that is being addressed, that's what I would say. The second piece is that this hydrogen, we are going to use it in a fuel cell, right? So it's being fed into this, um, into the cells as gaseous hydrogen. Mm -hmm. So they're not going in as liquid. So they do boil. So we, we take it out of the tanks, they warm up, and then they're fed into the fuel cell. As they are warming up, that is the... Um, that is a stage where they are cooling the powertrain, right. meaning the heat from the powertrain is going into this hydrogen mm. and boiling off. Right. So finding the balance between all of those is the engineering challenge. Right. Would you be able to, I mean, I'm sure you have seen the MTD buses running around campus, they, yeah. which are like, they, they run on hydrogen fuel, right? And I recently got the chance to visit their facility where they make the hydrogen. So I was learning about the fuel cell and uh, how like the like the only exhaust is like water vapor, yep. like water. Mm -hmm. So um, would that be able like help in some way to the aviation, like getting water like eventually once you it passes through the fuel cell? And yeah, um, so the, it's basically the same technology, yeah. right? What they're using the, the buses and I, I don't know this for a fact, but I assume they are um, storing the hydrogen as compressed um, in a compressed high pressure yeah, gas. They're using, right? Yeah, they're using gas. For right, them. not liquid, right. Yeah. right. So, and, and people can do the same for, for aircraft. And like I said, our program is on liquid hydrogen. So, but the rest of it is, is similar. It's, um, you know, there's a fuel cell, you, you have hydrogen as an energy source, there's electric power that comes out, and you, you drive your your fan, electric fan, electric propulsor, if you will, with that. Uh, so there's a lot to be learned from terrestrial applications. Mm. Um, you know, there are unique requirements for aircraft. And weight is the primary one. So what works for the bus may not work for aircraft. So getting the, the, and the power density of the fuel cell and the energy density of your hydrogen storage system becomes key questions. Uh, 
the other big question is and this is somewhat um, not an uh, not immediately obvious is that I think the fuel cells are getting better but right now what you can procure up efficiency is maybe 60 percent or so meaning 40 percent of the energy is lost as heat right and maybe this goes up to 70 80 percent but there's still um, let's say 20 percent of it is heat um, so if you have a an aircraft that needs I don't know 40 megawatts of power like those 50 passenger type aircraft um, at any given point in time 20 30 40 percent of that so 20 megawatts there's a way to do this math 20 percent of uh, 40 megawatts is what 8 megawatts and if it were 40% that's 16 megawatts um, is coming out as heat um, it's it's going to take some engineering to exhaust that heat to the ambient otherwise your fuel cells and everything on the airplane just start warming up right um, you may ask the question hey don't we already do that the jet engines they um, they also lose about 40% of the power but they operate at a much higher temperature and most of that lost energy is coming out of the as the exhaust right so the hot air is coming out out the back of the of the engine so in two ways we are changing it a similar amount of heat may be coming out but the fuel cells don't operate at thousands of degrees at least the polymer fuel cell that we are looking at um, and the heat is not dumped into the exhaust right it's, it's being lost in the in the fuel cell so you may need some kind of a, a radiator uh, uh, some way to get that heat out without creating a lot of drag in the aircraft so that's one area that the team is working on you started a company based on this research called Kinetics. Right. And your, the mission of the company is to make avi aviation carbon free. But I'm curious because, like you said, a company versus research, they both have different incentives. Yeah. In a company, well, they, you, know, you could get funding from VC, venture capitalists, and when you're a researcher, you get funding from the NIH, the government in general. So you have different incentives. Why do you think starting a company is the right way to push this technology? And what's the story behind it? Okay, yeah, so, um, like I said earlier, just having a technology doesn't mean that it's, a product is going to come out of it, right? right. So between the technology and a product is all the things we talked about, showing that it's, maturing the technology, going up the TRL ladder, um, having the capability, I mean, making it manufacturable, making it reliable, getting the cost down to a level that the market would, would find acceptable. Those are not necessarily questions that we answer exhaustively, at least, in, in the academia, right? We, we are more excited about the the earlier part of it, can we get this working, establishing feasibility, 
coming up with new new solutions. Um, and as we started doing that, we got a lot of interest from potential industry partners, industry and government partners. But there was a gap, right, between the showing the feasibility in a lab versus getting it ready to put on a actual system that would fly. Um, so that's so out of necessity is why we launched this company. Let's have this venture take the technologies that are coming out of the research labs and getting it to a point that people would, you know, seriously consider putting in a vehicle. Right. So that's what we try to do. We have tried to stay focused on the the same goals that we have on campus. Right. We are not necessarily looking to. Um, we're not letting money drive our decisions. And we're still focused on decarbonizing aviation, looking at the larger aircraft. So the products that the company is looking at is the megawatt class machines. You know, one megawatt up to say 10 megawatts, which is not very, not immediately needed for the smaller aircraft that people are looking at commercially right now. Um, so this is really, a product for the future. Um, so that's what the why we decided to do this. Right? The uh, let me go to some other aspects of having a. We are also deciding consciously to stay here on campus. So the company is physically based in the research park, um, which may or may not be the best decision if you're trying to do this as a business, right? You want to have a an ecosystem around you, um, especially if you have a, you know, this is a, unlike a software startup where, you know, you could be anywhere and scale up. If you want to build large machinery, you need the right kind of vendors and shops, which are maybe easier to find in Chicago or Detroit or you know, elsewhere. But we're choosing to stay here because we we think this is a, kind of a win-win situation between the university and this venture. We have students working here. A lot of people that work in the company are interns and part-time employees that are actually students here. Um, in my mind, it's experiential learning, right? So it's how I learned, right? I learned at school, but most of my learning came from working at, uh, at the GE Research Center. So if students can do a little bit of both, even when they're at school, that's not a bad thing. So it's working out really, really great set from the start point. Guys, will you guys build a, some type of uh, aircraft at some point? <laughs> we are a, a piece of an aircraft, right. right? It's pretty hard for this little company to build an aircraft. But the intention is, uh, is exactly to get to that point where there is an aircraft but in partnership with others. Right. So we are looking at both industry partners as well as uh, government partners. Right. NASA has many different programs where they do flight demos and we would like to participate in some of those. I would, uh, I would really appreciate it if, you, if you write me down, not on the first one but maybe in the second <laughs> or third one uh, to, to see what it's like. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm curious. So. We're going to space. Yeah. And there's been a lot of effort with the space. Do you think 
I actually don't know if anyone has used any type of electric propulsion system in space, but do you think it could be used? Because, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of, like, you know, normal rockets. I think at some point someone did some type of, like, nuclear type of uh, rocket-based type of thing. Has anyone done any type of, like, electric? Yeah, in, in fact, you know, so going back to my point about electric propulsion, the aerospace industry, that's what they're more familiar with, at least 10 years ago. I mean, now th even what we do is, um, uh, and everybody's aware of it. Space has been doing electric propulsion for a long time, right? So what does propulsion mean in space? If you take a fan and spin it, you're not going to move because there's no air, right? So they have to look at other ways to propel themselves. And you may look at, you know, ways to create... Um, some flow of, I mean, you can take something from down here, a little tank of some gas or whatever, and then release it, right. and get it, create a little bit of jet, and propel yourself forward. Uh, or you could do it electrically um, by um, ionizing um, some fluid, and then accelerate it with electric fields and again propel forward. So that's the traditional electric propulsion in space. So that's, you know, well known and is, is being done. Between the two, going from here to space, yeah. where the rockets come in, that's um, extremely hard, right? You need a lot of uh, thrust. Mm -hmm. But who is to say that can't be some type of electric in the future. I mean, it's um, hard for us to imagine that now, but that's why we are here, right? To dream, dream big, take on challenges. I see a lot more um, lower hanging fruit, if you will, mm -hmm. in electrifying aircraft um, before we get into what would a, the rockets of the future look like. I don't know. Maybe some of you guys would explore that. Yeah, I do think it would be interesting to start some sort of uh, companies to do a space infrastructure uh, because, you know, SpaceX, you know, they're doing a lot of the, like, transportation, but we're going to need a lot of infrastructure there. We're yeah. going to need some type of, like, Uber or, like, hotels and, like, <laughs> some, uh, so many things. Uh, I mean, there, there's been a couple of companies doing manufacturing in space, yeah. which would be interesting. So it is exciting. Absolutely. Um, I don't know if it's in this in the time frame that would impact me, but certainly in the time frame. I mean, in your are future. you planning to die like, soon <laughs> I think I think the future is pretty close. It's close? Okay. Well, in our case, it depends on what, right? So people talk about mining, people talk about you know, living on Mars, for example, uh, manufacturing space, yes. Yeah, I, I think, look, that is the future. I hope I get to see that, right? I, I hope so, too. Yeah. <laughs> I hope I stay healthy enough that someone will take me on a rocket ship somewhere. I, would you like to go to, to space at some point and perhaps, you know, the moon, maybe no Mars yeah. because, you know, that will be about, actually, I don't know, but space in general, is, is, that, is that something you would be interested in? And well, there are days when uh, I mentioned to you before the program, I have three daughters. There are days I wish I could get on a, <laughs> on a rocket ship <laughs> and go somewhere else to another planet. Um, Look, who wouldn't want to go, who, well, I don't know. 
I, I think it would be exciting, right, to go, yeah. to go out there into space. I would love to do that. I would like to come back. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm adventurous. <laughs> no, I think there are people that are planning to go live there, right? Yeah. Um, I'm not one of those. So <laughs> I would want to go to space, experience it, look down on Earth, and maybe come back. Is yeah. that so? You've worked it a lot with sustainable sustainability, right? And your research has been in pushing that boundary forward, just getting us a little bit closer to um, getting net zero or getting carbon neutral or getting the emissions down, right? Um, is space civilization something that um, like stands out to you? Because what like many people like Elon Musk are trying to do is just colonize another planet and because they think that humans are, should be an interplanetary species, right? And Earth, we need to let it go at some point. But all our efforts are being put, like our primary efforts need to be put into still keeping Earth a habitable place. So how, how, what's your thought about this? Um, I think we should do both, right? Um, I mean, so it's, is it... Here's a practical issue, right? So we talked about time frame. Um, how quickly could we become an interplanetary species, or race, or whatever, right? Um, I mean, if you're an optimist, it could be quick. I think most people think it's going to be... Or if you're a billionaire. Or, or if, <laughs> if you're a billionaire, <laughs> you think... But as, as a species, I mean, the, the billions of people that we have on Earth, right? We're not going to get on a rocket ship and fly out of here next year, right? Or right. 10 years, maybe in 100 years, right? So, look, this is the only home we have now. Exactly. So we have to keep this, keep this uh, habitable and you know, nice environment for us. It doesn't mean we don't invest in that future, right? But one thing I will say is this, that throughout history, I should not be making big statements. So I'm an engineer, right? But, you know, maybe I'll put myself out there. I say um, sustainability, I think there's a school of thought that we should um, do less. Let me explain what I mean. Um, so, for example, aviation. I mean, that some people think, you know, aviation produces emissions. We should uh, fly less right, um, take a sailboat or whatever, right, and I, I understand that and I appreciate where they're coming from and maybe now since there's no alternative that's what we should do. Um, so what's, what do people say, you want to conserve, uh, reduce, reuse, recycle. recycle, right, so the first thing is reduce. Um, I am of the opinion that we are, we are truly blessed. There's abundant energy out there. Mm. Um, we just need to figure out how to do that in a way that's healthy and safe for the environment. Um, right. I mean, and yes, today I agree. We don't have a zero carbon aircraft, but our future should be um, not reducing flights, I would even counter that and say we should be flying more. I mean, we, every, we should democratize flights. We, it should be 
uh, available to everyone. We should be able to fly across the world. We should be able to fly to the next town. Uh, why not enjoy the fruits of technology, right? So why am I going through this example? Is same thing with with space. I mean, we should be um, going hundred miles per hour, whatever, full speed ahead on on um, conquering space, traveling to other planets. But don't destroy our only home when right. we do Not that. Not at the cost of. Not at the cost of destroying yeah. the other. Right? And I think it's a lazy solution when people say, oh, do less. I think in the reality, we should do a lot of more research, engineering, yeah. as a yeah. way to solve the problem. And like, oh, do less, or like, no, like that's the lazy solution, and that should not be. The yeah. solution should be having more research, and, and perhaps even more basic research, where we give researchers a lot of money to follow their curiosity and to do what they wish in a way that they're, like, they don't feel restrained by, okay, you need to do an incremental change in your variables so you can post the paper so you can see them better, whatever. So I think, you know, a, a solution, I don't know, it could be that, okay, you're saying that, like, okay, pay more for the flight so we can give the money to researchers or whatever, or like get more money to, but I think in general, giving more money to researchers without having a, you know, explicit purpose. In three years, I need you to publish three papers. That's completely like, insane or you know in three years give me this so I think like imagine it's, it's like you said you left GE because you wanted to come to this place at Granger where you don't have to rely on, on funding you could you were you have the ability to work on long-term projects I don't know how, tr how true that is uh, but I'm, I'm assuming it's more true than, than false um, <laughs> but in a way I think those are the things we, we need to have and I think follow what, you know, like Vannevar Bush did in the 1940s with FDR and all those type of efforts. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, so, you know, we, we always talk about money, but money is only one part of it. The other big piece, and that's why I love being here yeah. at, at Illinois, is, um, you know, kindling that, that spirit of innovation in the next generation, right? So. Um, how to get an army, a large army of engineers, scientists out there that are highly motivated. They, I mean you, you all are going to come up with all the solutions, right? So if we can light that spark. I think when you ask a question about how soon can you have uh, electric airplanes, I mean I, I'm sensing that excitement, right? That you all want to make this happen. So I, I, I feel good. I think, I think we are creating the right kind of people in the next generation to solve all these issues. How has having kids, or as you mentioned, like you have three daughters, right, changed or influenced your outlook on sustainability and, and making this happen as soon as possible? I, I, like, I would like to say that I have had time to think about all this. Once you have kids, you're living day to day, right? right. <laughs> no, but let me see. Um, look, you don't need to have your own kids. I mean, you, um, as a species, um, you know, as you age, you look, there, there is another generation behind you. Um, obviously, I personally am, you know, emotionally attached to my kids, but as humanity, we, uh, uh, it's clear, we need to 
move to a very sustain, I mean, sustainable future, save, save the planet. I mean, uh, someone, not someone, I mean, previous generations handed the earth to us, right? I mean, they, whether they intentionally or whether they, um, how, how do I frame it? I mean, pe people came before us and we still have the earth to live on. We don't want to be the last few generations that live on a habitable planet. Right? There's going to be many, many generations after us. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, obviously having having kids brings that home, uh, brings that home. Yeah, like makes, makes this fun. issue more personal. More right? personal, that's right. Yeah, they'll they'll be inheriting this earth. Yeah, if like the more efforts you put in at this point, the better it might be in the future, right? Yeah, because you're just you're just getting us a little a little closer to to maybe not like total devastation in the future, right? So, yeah, I mean, it's something that I think about a lot because um, the people who have done this damage like in the past few years are not going to be here to face the effects of the consequences, right? And um, there's not much that we can do to change that because the irreversible changes have already set, uh, like already, already set. And the only thing we can do is first to adapt better to it, just to learn to adapt better to it, and at this point, start undo not undoing, but changing how we have been doing things. Like um, like the fossil fuel industry, let's say, for example, we it's the primary source of energy, right, for most of the Earth right now, because just because it has had so many years to develop, and like now it's at a point where it's the cheapest source of energy until we get all solar or renewables down to the like to a comparable price where we can switch it. So like it's always the challenge of changing what has already already been set in stone. And I think that's that's the difficult part and how quickly we manage to do that is, is gonna matter a lot. Yeah, I mean clearly there are entrenched parties, right? right. Uh, players. Uh, I'll just mention that in many places, solar and wind is already cheaper right, than right. fossil fuel, right? Um, but then there may be other considerations is uh, the whole question of dispatchability, right? I mean, what happens when the sun is not shining or wind is not blowing? But even that's being, people are working on it. Uh, so I'm very optimistic. There will always be, you know, anytime there's change, you know, it's uncomfortable. There, there are people that may not do as well as others in a, in a changing world. And um, we just have to figure out, now we are going away from engineering, so politics or how as a society we deal with, deal with that, but there's no, no option, we have, we have to. Yeah. Uh, you know, let's think to do something together here. So you are an advisor of the Illini Air Shuttle uh, thing. And, you know, I, I did take a look at Quad Day, and, you know, they're doing this thing, they're doing this paper, and that's, that's all cute, that's very cute. Uh, are they actually going to build something? I'll be honest. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> that's, that is to say. That, they're that's building a, something already. Right, that, that's, yeah. that, that's very nice. Okay. Um, let's say I actually want to, let's say we actually want to do it, like, quickly, and 
we're not doing our stuff. We're not doing meetings every week. We're not writing cute papers. We actually want to do something and like launch it and have it ready. First would be, is that something that we could do, like regulation-wise, technology-wise, building an air shuttle from Champaign-Urbana to Chicago? Is that feasible? Do we have the regulation? Second, if we have the regulation, it's technologically feasible and everything else, why aren't we doing it already? Okay. Money, like, what is it? Okay, I think you're bringing up a good point. So the Island Eye Air Shuttle, so plug whoever's watching, they should go check it out. Maybe there's a website. It's, um, the goal is to have a, an electrical vertical takeoff and landing vehicle, um, zero emission for um, distances like between Champaign and Chicago, right? So that's what this club is focused on. It's not technically feasible today because of the payload and, and range. Right, so I said you can do electric airplanes and even EV toll, electrical vertical takeoff and landing aircraft for smaller payload and low, um, lower ranges. It's possible today. So what's the, the barrier is energy density of the energy source, like batteries, if you're going to do batteries, and the power density of the complete drivetrain. Right, the machines drives power electronics that we are working on. Um, so that's why we think this is a long-term project. But we should be we, we don't want to wait for the technology to become available before we engage a broader group of people that you know kind of grow with the technology that are thinking about um, is this even the right vehicle? Do we want? I mean, I'll ask you a question: Is is it better to have like the automotives? You know, you carry two people on average. Is what the the car does, right? On average, maybe even less than two. I think is if you take all the cars out there, how many people per car? Uh, do we want to fly like that, or is it better to have twenty people, like a, like a bus? Um, I don't know the answer. I, mean, I feel like there's some um, benefits to carrying a larger group of people, I mean, especially if you need to have a pilot and um, there are fixed cost associated with flying one, one vehicle. So uh, where am I going with all this? Many other questions beyond just technology. Even, um, I'll, I'll throw another one out at you. So, uh, social, uh, society, um, um, what's the term? H how does the society view a vertical takeoff and landing aircraft? Let's say there is a solution out there that only a tiny sliver of the population can afford it, right? And that tiny sliver of people, the 0.01% of the society, uh, you know, flying from the suburbs, going to, um, you know, downtown, doing their banking, whatever, and flying back. And the 99.99% is, you know, sitting there watching from a traffic jam, right? Logged in there for three hours. How would that play out, right? It's a question. I don't know the answer, right? I mean, I just quickly, I think that's completely fine. You charge them as much as possible so we can actually fund the other stuff for, for later. Okay. So that's that's one solution, right? So meaning um, there must be a way for... Okay. I don't, I, I don't uh, know. All right. So my, my <laughs> point is, 
just having the technology solution by itself, we should be thinking about broader issues. How do you charge these things? How, I mean, where would they land? Uh, should we uh, make spaces available um, for this tiny uh, population to go land? Or should we instead invest in a, a train? I mean, should we have high-speed train between Chicago and here that can serve a larger group? I don't know the answers to that, but I, I think we need to engage a broader group of people in this kind of discussions. So that's another reason to have a, an RSO where we have engineers, but we also have social scientists and business majors, everybody engaged. Let me get to the second part of your question about uh, why aren't we doing it? Well, one is the technology is not available, but I think you, you're hitting on something important. You, you learn by doing. Right, you don't learn by sitting in a room and thinking, well, maybe let's some things you can learn. <laughs> let, let, yeah. Let's write papers, let's, let's, let's have two-hour weekly meetings. Yeah, so in engineering, you definitely want to, I mean, there are some other fields you could learn by sitting and chatting and so on, but in our field, you, you definitely want to build, test, break, right. improve, build again. So I'm taking a note, right, mental note, that I should go back to this eyeliner air shuttle. Um, should we have a parallel effort on things you could do today, right? Maybe a single passenger mm -hmm. aircraft, even if that's not the ultimate goal, maybe uh, maybe you would be excited to go build something and test it, right? Like I would be highly excited, like to do whatever I can to get funding to figure it out, <laughs> just to make something. Yeah. Like, okay, maybe it's not Champaign, Chicago, because the energy density, power density, all of that. Maybe you can just go start from, okay, the minimum possible. You could do it a la, you know, Wright Brothers style. You go from here to Rantoul. And like just make it that it barely works. And maybe you, you wouldn't even put a human. You put something in there. Just make it fly. If it falls, you know, make it in a field so it doesn't hurt anyone. Yeah. But I think we just strike, like, okay, the science is, is cute. It's great. The papers are amazing, whatever. But why aren't we just building stuff and just let it be broken? It sounds like you should be joining this club and uh, <laughs> participating in. So yeah, it just the, the meeting hurt too much for me. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I will say this. So um, since I'm the faculty advisor, I'm, I'm taking this feedback. I Don't take it personal, by the way. Not just personal, <laughs> but no, it, it, I'm taking the feedback and I will indeed share that with the broader group. I, I think they are, they are doing, um, or at least they have plans to work in that direction and and maybe um, art articulating that plan would be helpful because there is a sub team or a small group that's out there demonstrating not even ran tool to here a little um, unmanned aircraft there are many things you can learn with the subscale demonstrated and they did fly something uh, even just a few weeks ago or maybe a few months ago right which I saw so they, they are doing that. They, it's a um, RSO, meaning I'm just an advisor. It's a student-driven um, club. Even deciding what to do, the process by which you decide is a learning process. How to work in a team, how do you rally the troops into a plan. You, you have an idea. Others may have a different idea. Um, so... Uh, don't give up. Go back there. Make a case. Yeah, for, maybe, maybe. I, I mean, honestly, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know which one would be the best way to actually make it forward. Because, like, something I think about, you know, college, like this place, 
is so unique, and I want to see, like, especially engineering people, like builders, people who are going to build the future. Like, who cares about a job? Who cares about, you know, I, we should be building, like, crazy things. Like, like, I should be walking on the quad or engineering quad, and I should be seeing this little thing flying. Or, like, oh, it just broke. Okay, fine. We'll go fix it. I should be seeing, like, I don't know, autonomous, like, self-driving things. I should be seeing a bunch of, like, engineering things that we could do. And everyone's in the library studying and, like, test, test, test. And, like, I think an exciting future would be where... I don't know, a bunch of people are just out there building things and we're just walking and we just live in this kind of like futuristic like city and we see these random things like, oh my God, what is that? Oh, it's a thing flying or like, what is a thing? It's like, I don't know, like trees that grow in one day, I, crazy stuff. And it's so hard because, I, you know, you want to do something? Yeah, let, let's make an RSO so I can be the president, so I can put it on my resume or like, I can't, let's have a meeting so I can be like, yeah. it just... I just don't know which, it's something I think a lot about, is the idea of incentives, right? It's not about the technology, sometimes it is. It's not about the money, it's not, like, all the things can actually be figured out. It's about figuring out the incentives so we can actually get people, in this case would be, okay, we have really smart students that are focused by, you know, jobs, money, you know, working at the FANG or whatever, whatever, whatever. In reality, that's, that's great and that's personal. But I do think how we make the future exciting is when people are following their curiosity, building crazy things. Yeah. And I just don't see that. And I just don't know. Okay. Yeah, um, I'll tell you this. That is indeed the vision, right? So the air shuttle, air shuttle is one of the youngest RSOs. There, yeah, there yeah, are many yeah. others, right? Eco, Island I, and the solar car project. So. Solar car. Uh, this is solar part car? of it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, are, <laughs> there are clubs out there building. Yeah. And the, the vision for Island I, Air Shuttle and, and others is indeed that. And I'm a big believer in this. I, I mentioned earlier in, in experiential learning, right? You need to complement what you're learning in class with things that you're doing yourself, building, testing and all that. I'm totally with you on that. Um, the one thing I would I would suggest is when we say the RSOs are, who are the RSOs? Is you. Well, right? I mean, maybe. <laughs> uh, it should be you. Yeah, 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 yeah of course. The students, and, uh, yeah. Students, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I mean, find like-minded people. I mean, we are in probably the best place, or arguably the best place, to do incredible things like this. Go back to Island Air Shuttle or form a new one. If you need resources, come talk to me. Right? Okay, I, I, I do. I, I'm actually, I do want to know your answer. Because right. everyone's just so busy, like, working on, on tests and homework, and people don't have time to actually okay. build Okay, that's a different question now, right? Because uh, I think that people are there. I think it's limited, but I think you can make the point that people actually exist out there. Um, but everyone's so busy, 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 busy. Okay. Their internships, uh, all, like, this maybe distracted, in my opinion, maybe. Uh, okay, the people are there. Like you said, it's a great place to be bright people all around it's not about the people anymore it's just about who actually wants to build things and not just go to meetings like i'm actually curious on knowing your answer and your experience of like talking to people and working in many different countries and places let's say i, I joined the the alignment turtle team where i started whatever whatever oh, it, that's solar car all right maybe yeah that, that completely besides the point yeah how do you find people who actually want to build 
things and not just, you know, for show. I mean, that's a question about, um, about people interacting with people. Yeah, yeah. Um, is a, um, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know in what circles you move in or who do you meet. Uh, I, I think in a place like Illinois with 50,000 students, um, ch chances are there is more than one person with that uh, mindset. Um, with that mindset, right? Um, I cannot tell you, you know, go to the of course. Sixth Street or hang out at the Union, <laughs> right? Um, I have. I, I would. I would venture to say that um, there is some level of uh, self-filtering that takes place when people join some of these clubs. And I would start there, but I, I'm hearing, uh, maybe you're not saying, maybe you're saying explicitly that you, you have not seen that in some of these clubs is maybe what I'm hearing. Uh, well, I, I am not, to tell you, like yeah. explicitly, and what I'm saying is that a lot of these clubs are not actually doing things are just meetings okay. uh, maybe I mean I think there are some exceptions with some of the car clubs I think they, they actually they've done some really like cool stuff but a lot of these clubs are just for I show say, okay here's what I would say um, I have seen clubs that are doing things right and solar car comes to mind you guys are mm -hmm. building you 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 want to race in uh, Colorado yeah Colorado yeah it was like, like four states like um, Kansas New Mexico it, Colorado okay so there Okay, here's one example, right? Mm -hmm. So there are clubs, so I will not make a blanket statement and say no one does this, they're just sitting in meetings, right? You need to find the right ones. The second, I would say, uh, same thing we say about the nation. If you disagree with the direction of the country, what should we do? There, there are two paths. <laughs> you either become, you know, be getting involved or you exit. Uh, I would say do the former, right? I mean, uh, it's just, okay, we don't like the... Planet is going, uh, I mean, sustainability question and so on. Look, we, not everyone can just exit, right? We have to fix it. Right? We, we are going to take, and I am volunteering myself. Come chat with me, but don't um, look for ways where you can, what's Obama's uh, words? Um, be, uh, maybe not Obama's words. Make change or something? <laughs> Yes, yes, we can or something. Yes, yes, we can. There you go. Right. <laughs> so, yes, you can. One, David, you can make an impact. Um, and I'm sure you'll find um, others that can work with you on this. Yeah. So, I would disagree with you partly that every club is just sitting there. No, I mean, no, I, no, I think the one exception are the car clubs. Like, I think a lot of the car clubs, like the, the motorsport one, the solar car, I think that's one of the exceptions I've seen. Okay, and I I would add, um, and you may edit this out of <laughs> out of a, uh, recording here, but um, I don't want to be too harsh. But do more than complain. Yeah, yeah. no, no. I mean, give it as hard as you can. Yeah. And I uh, know I agree with you. I agree with you. And I think complaining is fine. But like, okay, how do you actually do it? And right. I, I'm, yeah. I actually. Like, I saw the Aligner Air Shuttle thing, mm -hmm. and you know, before even you, know, I knew you were part of it, like, regardless, I saw it in Quad Day, and it was very interesting. I wrote my thing, I get the emails and everything. 
edges okay so let me add this other thing so even in eyeliner eye shadow look you it's a group of students yeah, yeah, yeah. and you're going to have um, different levels of motivation and different levels different interests and so on i know there's at least a a group within that that's building and testing um in fact they sent me a video just a few weeks ago that's why i said just recently they flew a small demo find that find your tribe is that the word that we we use yeah who knows <laughs> <laughs> find your tribe in a place like you know it they uh, you will you can find those i will i will i think yeah i i thought of different ways about doing that i think talking to you has really reinitiated that uh, yeah like yeah like that um that idea because i i do think i don't know how technological feasible it is and i think i don't care either that's that's regardless of the point yeah. i think we should do what's exciting i think something that gets me really excited yeah it's flying good absolutely in fact part of the reason so we talked we spent i don't know how long uh, wow more than an hour right maybe uh, okay so time <laughs> time relativity <laughs> okay so we talk a lot about technology and research but our primary mission here my as a academic as a faculty here is training students yeah if we can come up with the world's greatest machine to electrify airplane fantastic but what's more important is to train students and motivate them to go solve the problem right i mean a thousand of you are going to do a lot more than a small research group here on campus right when you go out in the field and flight is one of those really motivating exciting which kid did not look up at an airplane flying and say wow right? and play with the airplanes and play, everything play with the airplanes i mean even even me at my age 50 years now you know how old i am <laughs> when i watch one of those large Airbus or Boeing aircraft take off. Incredible. This big piece of metal, you know, gliding, <laughs> floating into, right. into the air. If that doesn't motivate you as an engineer, I don't know what will. So, um, I agree with you. I think this is an exciting topic. You can, and then you couple that with all of you. I think you want to, we talked about sustainability. I mean, you, you, you more than even our generation wants to save the planet. and leave it in a better shape than you found it hopefully um you couple those two together fantastic research topic to motivate students building and testing absolutely we should do more the piece that you mentioned within the uh, address is where do you find the time well where do you find the time to socialize or <laughs> uh, do other extracurricular activities that's one piece but um that's that's a different topic the other piece i would say is from a as an academic i think is our job to look at the curriculum and say where can we give students more opportunities to do that and at in the college of engineering i think we do that reasonably well you can do that do better of course right and, and we are continuously revisiting that but between your um independent studies senior design you could structure a program where you get some credit for this work so it's not either or yes you need a certain number of credits per semester to graduate maybe it's not enough but there is some hours that you can allocate get credit and still build and test so use that to the max yes yes i 
Yeah, I, I do want to. I actually, I actually, I do want to build this type of um, flying things. And I mean, it's like you said. Like every time I get an airplane, it's like, oh my goodness, how does this work? Like it just. In, I mean, I know the physics and everything. It just, yeah. wow. It just, it just mind blowing. And I think that is just such an exciting thing. And yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe I think at some point, you know, you can try to find people and everything. And I think that would be ideal. But at some point. Like, if people don't understand or if you don't want to do these things, I think the example of actually doing it maybe will bring people. And that, that's right. Be the change that you want. Yeah, in the world. To see in the world. Dalai Lama. Okay. Oh, it's Mahatma Gandhi. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay. Mahatma Gandhi. Really? Yeah. Okay, there you go. Well, maybe many people said it. Yeah, who knows. Um, you know, I do want to ask you, you have three, daughter, three daughters, and, you know, you spend a lot of time with young people like us, what advice did you have for a young person today, you know, maybe an engineer, a very person that is motivated, driven, what advice do you have for these people in you know, early high school, I mean high school, college, about their careers, their future, or what advice should they ignore? What advice should they ignore? Or, you know, like what advice do you have for them, Okay. for this smart, driven yeah. person? Look, we talked about a lot of this, right? Uh, find your passion. Here's what I tell my my kids and maybe even my, my students. There are, you know, what you work on is driven by many considerations, right? It's, you know, there's this Venn diagram you may have seen where you want to work in a field where you have the right set of skills and it's a field that's, um, there's a need, societal need and there's funding, and it's it's an area that excites you, excited about it, right? So it's the intersection of those three that you find a good career. Out of those three, I think you mentioned it earlier, the, the money and the funding and the needs, uh, finding someone that needs it, it's not that hard. Uh, the skills that you need, especially in today's world, you know, you can do online learning. Or of course, you're in the right place to get the right kind of skills. Maybe, <laughs> <Engineer>. maybe. <laughs> uh, we'll come back to that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think you are. This is one of the best places to be. Yeah, no, I think so. As an engineer. Um, the hardest to change is your passion for that topic. Right. Right. So if there's one advice I will give is to not necessarily say, hey, I'm good at doing this, so let me go find a topic there. Oh, this is where the money is, let me go work on it. Find your passion. The skills and the money will follow, right? Um, if you're excited about it, you will learn, whether it's through school or watching YouTube videos or finding friends, trying something out at home. Um, so that's one, one thing I would say. What else? Yeah, build, do things as an engineer and don't give up just because you attended a meeting and they talked a lot. You, uh, okay, <laughs> you want advice? Be the change that you want to see in the world, right? That's another piece of advice for free. Uh, what else would I say? Um, there's so many other little things. I, I think find the right motivation. It's near the top there. 
work with others. No hint here, but there are different personalities. Everyone motivated by a different reason. Right. How do you work as a team? Because the, the, the problems of the future are increasingly things that a single person or a single discipline cannot handle. That is the intersection of disciplines, it's multiple with multiple skill sets. So engineering is becoming, hey, here's a guy sitting in the lab. I mean, there are still problems you can do. A single person with a scope or software that can solve. But getting the best out of your colleagues in a team is going to be important in engineering going forward. And never stop learning. That's the other piece of it. Never stop learning, yeah. I mean, you have to keep learning. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's all. You ask me what I tell my daughters. You know, I, I go back to the first point. They may or may not even want to be engineers, right? Because they had to find their passion. First, right. right. Yeah. Quick question be, be, before we start ending the, the, the show. I just have to ask you, do you think electric uh, flying cars would be electric? Uh, most, well... You know, assuming that they will be shorter range yeah. and, you know, the, the energy density is probably there somewhat. Uh, yeah, you're probably using the colloquial uh, version of the uh, meaning of the word flying car. What is flying? What do you mean by flying cars? Well, what you would see in, in you know, TV shows and, and things in the, in the 80s or okay. 90s. I don't know. So I mentioned EV tow, right? Electrical, vertical takeoff and landing. Oh, forget about E. Vertical takeoff mm -hmm. and landing. Something that's used in the parking lot, go up into the... Air, fly. And back to the future. They go, like back to the future, right? Although back to the future, um, the later ones. Later right? ones. Like <laughs> the end of the first one, okay. you, you get the All right. vertical. So, yes. And um, those are mostly electric. And you can you do it without electric? Yes. But I think the industry is voting with their feet that electric is the better solution because that's the majority of the projects are electric. Flying car means a different thing to me. It's a something that can fly, but it's also a car. A car that can drive on the road. Right? You want to drive from here to Chicago? Yes. And on the way back, you want to fly and come back. Right? That, um, it's a more challenging problem because it, it needs to be both a car that's roadworthy and safe and you know, runs on wheels and it should be light enough and to fly it's a harder problem to solve right? you need you want the you're looking for the best of both but you may end up with the worst of both meaning is neither the neither the best car nor the best airplane right because you're carrying all that extra stuff to do both um, those today tend to be um, not as not as electric because just because you're carrying a lot of energy around for both, um, in the future they could be electric. But I would uh, at least say this, in the space of urban mobility, I think that's broader term, uh, oh, shorter range, few people flying, taking off from some place to go to another, uh, I would bet that they are 
more likely to be electric in the future. We'll have to see and make it happen. <laughs> so to, to end our show, we have a section called overrated, underrated? Overrated, underrated. So, right. so this is the, the first question I want to ask, you know, you talked about Back to the Future and have you seen the movie? I've seen um, a few times. <laughs> a few times, yeah. It's a quite an interesting movie. The flux capacitor, underrated or overrated? <laughs> I don't know what it is, by the way. Right, so they never explain it. Yeah, so it's hard well, for me to answer. Well, imagine, imagine. <laughs> um, no, it was just, you know, you, you can think it was this thing used for time travel, and also you can think it was uh, this thing used for electric uh, propulsion look, it's, or whatever. It's, um, as an engineer, I say it's overrated. But as a concept in a, in a movie, it's fantastic. Yeah. They like mentioned plutonium and for the <laughs> flux capacity. You know? So it's, is there something right now which could, you might probably be able to relate or compare it to that, what they were trying okay, to do? Remind aim. me what the flux capacity, what did you do in the movie? It provided the energy? Yeah. It was light, basically, yeah. Source? It was just a time travel juice, you can it's say. It's a juice. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, the, the closest I can think of <laughs> is some type of nuclear. I mean, in terms of right. like just so much energy in there. Um, and some fusion reactor, if you will, right? Um, it's the closest I can think of to get a lot of energy in a small package. Hmm. Yeah. The the next one we're going to ask is uh, Boone supersonic, which is the the new era supersonic planes. Yeah. Underrated or overrated? You're putting me in a tough spot here. <laughs> These are areas I I want. I am excited about all of this. I. Supersonic, um, just that when I do the, the math as an engineer, it's a very inefficient way to fly. So, purely from that standpoint, today's technology, I would say is overrated. Okay. But for the future, it's absolutely the way we want to fly. Supersonic? Supersonic, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even faster than that. Even faster than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Instantaneous, right? What's the warp speed? Have you heard of uh, Zoom? Uh, Zoom? Yeah, it's, it's a thing you go on your computer and you like. <laughs> <laughs> Teleport yourself. <Yeah. laughs> it kind of is, in a way. In, yeah, in, a way. in fact, there were, I've been in sessions, not now, you know, going back 10, 20 years ago, you know, this big brainstorming session where you say, what's the future of flight? What are the threats? So if you're a big aviation company, for a Boeing, uh, what are the biggest threats? And you say, oh, is it, is it Airbus? Is it some company out of China? Or is it flying cars? And many times you came over and say, no, the biggest threat is uh, teleconferencing. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah, people may decide to live out their lives in a room like this, but experience whatever they want virtually. Yeah. One last one. Yeah. Um, Superconductivity. We never came back to it, but we come to my favorite topic. Yeah, <laughs> totally underrated. Yeah, it's uh, one of the magical things in engineering. It's one of the few quantum mechanical effects that you can see in the macro world. Mm. Right. We are in uh, Homo Bardeen that uh, right. explained the BCS theory. So many connections to superconductivity back here to, to Illinois. It's um, 
got incredible potential. Unfortunately, um, what do they say? It's got, a, it's got a great future and it will always remain that way. <laughs> people say we need to make it practical. Um, when we do, it will completely transform uh, the electrical industry as we know it right? in terms of everything from efficiency and making things compact, being able to transmit a lot of power, electric airplanes, uh, so many other applications, even in just my space, electric power. But superconductivity, of course, transcends on that line. Um, quantum computing to qubits to all kinds of interesting applications out there. Maglev. Maglev, yeah. We've seen like people, um, they've tried the tried making the hoverboard from Back to the Future using yep. um, <clears throat> just the principle of superconductivity, just laying down magnets yeah. and just not very practical. Yeah, not very practical. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I saw the video. Was it by Toyota or one of those car companies? Lexus. Lexus. Yeah. yeah. Same one. <laughs> right. Yeah. So up to you guys to pull it from the future into the present with practical applications. Um, and it's one of those, you know, going back to connecting it to the earlier point, a practical superconducting solution is cannot be done by someone who's an expert in any one of these engineering disciplines. In materials engineering, right? superconductor is a material mechanical engineering, you need to cool it down, you need to go down the cryogenic temperatures. The application may be something electric, right? You need to be able to power it, control it. All those have to come together to make a superconducting system work. So hopefully you can have those difficult conversations with teams that <laughs> may or may not agree with the, the vision you have and work together to get those things. And I think that's, as long as the vision and mission is exciting, I think people can you know, get back and, and from any discipline and everything, will we'll come back and make the future actually happen. Because, you know, the future is there. And if you find a flux capacitor to make it easier, let me know. But the future is there. And it's up to us to make it happen through engineering, through science, through math. And through different mediums that are not only math and science and business and startups and who knows so many things. I'll give you a free uh, underrated, overrated. That <laughs> is totally underrated in engineering, having a clear vision, mm. right? So in, beyond the passion thing we talked about, you know, vision about where you're headed, what's important, what's the problem you're solving, um, and being able to communicate that in a very clear Manner. All those skills are underrated in engineering, what I would say. And I think uh, we're so grateful for your time for, for coming to us, so we want to thank you, and, and especially personally, uh, thank you for your feedback, and <laughs> we, I, I hope to have conversations with you in the future as a way to, to, to make these things actually happen and, and change some of, the, some of the atmosphere that has been you know, here with the some of the organizations and everything. Like you say, it doesn't have to be that way. And it's just a matter of finding ways and, sure. like you said, 
make the change that you want to see in the world happen. <laughs> I hope you took uh, my feedback in the right spirit. Oh, yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah, 100%. And I, it means a lot that you were, you, you were honest and you, and you told me. And yeah, I, I really thank you for that. Because uh, and a different person could be like, oh, yeah, this guy doesn't know what he's talking <laughs> about, like whatever. But you had the energy and effort to say, I don't think you're right on that way. And I, I will tell you why exactly. And I think I actually really appreciate that because I don't care if I'm right or wrong. I, I just want to know what's actually there and actually like what's actually the, the, the truth and the fact in order to actually make things happen and make the future exciting. I've enjoyed this. You guys are going to do great things. Just uh, keep this energy level up. Keep me posted. We will. Right. We will. Thank you. All right. Um, and for the people watching, thank you for uh, thank you for watching this episode. I'm I'm sure you gained a lot of out of it. We talked about experiential learning. We uh, the break breakthroughs of the future, the future of energy, sustainability, and just just exciting topics and the upcoming topics that we all as a generation need to start thinking about at this point. Um, if you have any questions for Dr. Haran, please put them in the comments and we'll try to get it to him and get them answered for you. Uh, I'm sure you learned a lot and I hope you're looking forward to the next one. Uh, stay curious and we'll see you guys next time. Thank you. Thank you.